Welcome to On the Spectrum Podcast. My name is Nick. I'm Steve. And as I always say at the beginning of every, every podcast, me and Steve do not presume to be experts in anything whatsoever. We are just two human beings who happen to be on the spectrum and we have opinions and ideas and we're going to talk about them. But today we have a special guest with us who I assume is actually an expert in a bunch of stuff, mostly because, you know, once I tell you who she is, you will absolutely know. Welcome, Temple Grandin. Hi, great to be here. So how's your day going so far? It's gone just fine. I was in the airport yesterday in a mm-hmm. three-hour delay due to mechanical problems. And... All right. Uh, and so you wanted yeah, to was, um, talk about stutter, stutter. careers uh, specifically. No, no, I'm very interested in careers because when I was mm-hmm. out working on on designing livestock equipment on big projects in big, large beef plants, I worked with people that owned metal shops. Mm-hmm. that definitely were undiagnosed autistic. Okay. The ADHD, dyslexics, I worked with them. And they were some of the most smartest people when it came to visual thinking on mechanical equipment, mm-hmm. especially like hydraulic equipment. And I talk about that in my new book, Visual Thinking. Oh, cool. And I'm very concerned that kids are getting screened out today because they can't do algebra. But I know somebody who builds big, gigantic beef plants mm-hmm. uh, as a corporate jet, and he can't do algebra. See, there's two right. parts of engineering. There's the mathematical part, and then there's what I call the clever engineering part, where you visualize how mechanical devices work. Yeah. And just on Monday, I was at a big beef plant in Texas, and the plant manager was desperate to find some people that understood hydraulics and oh. hydraulic equipment. And that is pure visual thinking, understanding hydraulic equipment. Yeah, like how all the hydraulic fluid flows through it and how it's going to oh, operate. Yeah, and makes the cylinders move, you know, yeah. like on an excavator machines, got the cylinders. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of hydraulic equipment in a meat plant because it's wet, so they don't want to use electric motors. Right. Um, have hydraulic drive units. Mm-hmm. And you have big power packs for those hydraulic drive units down in the basement. But then you also have a lot of just mechanically complicated equipment. <clears throat> right. With cylinders. Okay. It's, it seems like there's, a, maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems like there's some social stigma when it comes to some of the hands-on careers or... Um, when it comes well, to is, doing doing working with your hands or blue collar quote unquote type yeah. jobs, well, I can tell you, you can make plenty of money in high end skill trades. I'm not talking about roofing, laying floor tiles. That's just mm. work, right? I'm talking Absolutely. about uh, I've done both of them. Design hydraulic equipment, electricians, mm-hmm. plumbers, millwrights, metal workers who actually invent hydraulic equipment, invent mechanical devices, and yes. patent the real high end skilled trades. And we actually have a gigantic shortage because a lot of them can't do algebra. Right. But um, I see these fancy um, advertisements for this fancy building in New York called the Baccarat. Yeah. Fancy silver glistening spire. Yeah. You're not going to want to be in that if the water pump doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. On the 40th uh, floor. Absolutely. So we need we yeah. need far more people that can do the job more appropriately. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so where do you... Power off. Yeah. The water pump doesn't. Water pumps don't work. You're not going to want to be on the 40th floor of that building. That's right. Uh, so, so when it comes to like uh, finding people for these jobs, because you said you know that can't do algebra, where do you think like helping somebody who's on the spectrum uh, or neurodivergent in general, where do you think that kind of stuff starts of like preparing them for work? Well, you have um, first of all, I'm a big believer in developing talents in young kids. Okay. And too many kids are growing up today. They've never used a ruler. They don't know how to measure anything. Um, 
how can a kid find out they're good with tools if they never tried them? Very true. I'm a big fan of putting all the hands-on classes back in the schools where kids can try lots of different things. Mm -hmm. In my book, Visual Thinking, I talk about the um, the visual thinkers like me who are going to go into art, mechanics, and you're working with animals, photography. Mm -hmm. Then you have your pattern thinkers who are really good at higher math. They're your mathematicians, physicists, chemists, computer programmers. And then, of course, you've got people that think in words. And the first step is realizing that different kinds of thinking exist. Okay. I didn't realize that verbal thinking existed until I was in my 30s. Oh. And that was a shock to me. Okay. Uh, but I'm worried that some of the visualizers like me are getting screened out with draconian algebra requirements. Right. And the thing is, it's a different kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with these people. I've worked on big construction projects where you've got somebody that took welding in school uh, inventing mechanical equipment and patenting it. It has 20 patents. Awesome. You know, this is stuff that educators don't see. That's true. Because they're only focused on the, the lesson plan in front of them for a lot of Well, that's part of the of problem. Cases. Now, if you're yeah. going to be doing orbital mechanics, yes, you have to hire math. I'm not going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. you'd, be, you'd be biased like, if most people aren't visual thinkers. They would. It would be hard for them to... to they can't imagine yeah. visual mm. thinking. I had somebody criticize my book. And I think it was a philosopher because he said, well, different kinds of thinking doesn't exist. And I think this person was a hyper verbal thinker. Understood. And then you get into arguments about whether or not animals think. Well, if you're a super, super verbal thinker, mm -hmm. you would have a hard time imagining how a dog could think without words. Right. Because they, do, they don't have a language we necessarily understand. So how could you understand that they think to begin with? Yeah, I get that. You definitely can think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not, it's <laughs> going to be a sensory-based world. Yeah. And and I want to help the people that are different learn how to work. One of the biggest problems I'm seeing today, mm -hmm. teenagers, is they're not learning how to work. They're not learning life skills. I was at the airport yesterday with a three-hour mechanical delay. Mm -hmm. And I ran into a family of uh, uh, with a 13-year-old math genius, moved ahead in math, autistic. This teenager had never gone in a store and shopped by themselves. Wow. Yeah, this is real. This is yesterday. Mm -hmm. This is really bad. So what we did is we went over to buy one of the shops, and we, I had mom and me stand like 25 feet away where we could see into the shop, and we sent him in there was money first time he'd gone in a store by himself and the mom said well i have a hard time not just running in there right and i picked the wrong shop it didn't take cash but i didn't know that <laughs> yeah the hell would any of us? then i said to mom well he needs to be walking somebody else's dog he's got to learn how to do tasks on a schedule outside the family and this isn't being done maybe get a little debit card then he could have bought something in that shop yeah. I suggested the next time she was pumping gas to send him into the store and buy something. Right. Uh, and I've run into this over and over again. Smart teenagers on the spectrum never have gone shopping by themselves. Mm -hmm. You've got to be kidding. I would think part of that might be due to, well, I mean, the world we live in now where a lot of it, a lot of things are purchased digitally. People are buying things online. Maybe people don't go into stores as often. Oh. Also, parents, if they're having less children, maybe they're going to be more protective of their kids. Well, this that, is the problem. The baby's not protective. The kid isn't growing. 
And right. I have I have suggested that you know their kid get a job. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain things I want to avoid. I want to avoid the crazy rapid multitasking jobs. Those need to be avoided. Mm-hmm. And also a long strings of verbal instruction don't work. Let right. them write down what they have to do on a pilot's checklist. That they need. It's sort of an external working memory. That's a support they need. Absolutely. I'm, I'm they're not making a transition to independence and work. And this kid was getting all kinds of therapy. None of the therapists talked about having him start doing some stuff on his own. Now we were 25 feet away from the store. Right. And could see right into it. Right. It's not like you left him completely independent to run down the street. Yeah. I mean, you guys were still keeping a watchful eye to make sure. We were 25 feet away and you see completely inside this small shop. So would it be a fair assessment based on what you said? And I'm assuming you have more experience than I do when it comes to dealing with parents uh, who have children on the spectrum. Would it be a fair assessment that a lot of those parents aren't trying to give their their child like self-autonomy and trying to teach autonomy? Well, it's kind of the helicopter mom thing to the extreme. Mm. But I've run into this all the time. That's the second child. Now, they another another 12-year-old I sent into a shop at an airport, Mm -hmm. and she bought a drink and brought me back the change. And we were sitting where we could see into the store again. And then I talked to another mom to have her kid run in the gas station store when she was pumping gas. Right. And the mom says, I don't know if I can get up the guts to do that. You're right there. You can see into the shop. Yeah. Like, if anything bad happens, you're right there. You're right there. But they have to, but just learning how to talk to the staff in the store. Yeah. You see, yeah. these these are things that aren't being learned. We're doing a really good job on academics, but having a bank account. I go back to my little allowance. I had my 50 cents I had for allowance. Mm-hmm. This is really important. I was learning how to save when I was eight years old to buy an airplane that was slightly more than one week's worth of allowance. Right. And I didn't learn how that to save money until last year. To learn. I think yeah. a lot of parents fall into the trap of trying to do everything for their kid rather than That's letting the them problem. be yes. autonomous. Yes. And because you're not going to learn unless you do it on your own. Well, I, I would say even more so, you're not going to learn to be independent until you do it on your own. You're not going to learn to really be independent until you're okay with making a mistake, until you're okay with failing to a degree. I Like if somebody's always protecting you and keeping you from having struggle, whatever level of struggle that is, if somebody keeps you from making a mistake, then you're never going to learn how to recover from a mistake. And I think a lot of life skills, in my opinion, like that's what we're helping people learn how to do is deal with all situations. Well, exactly. And, and, and I, I have a book here on kids, uh, little project things to get kids doing hands on things. I held up this paper snowflake go. at an educator's uh, zoom call, a little paper snowflake. Okay? Awesome. And I had a teacher ask me, What's going to happen to the kid's self-esteem if the snowflake fell apart? You get another piece of paper. Can try you again. build another you one? Look it up on YouTube. You know, yeah. learn from your mistakes. Like, I just build another one. It. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you completely, Temple. I I agree with you completely on that. Like, well, the kid uh, went in the store and he wasn't able to buy anything with cash. I didn't know the store to take cash. It yeah. was a it was a store that in other airports. Um, does take cash right well how did how did he deal with that he well we had finally we went in and we got him out of there oh i found out the store didn't take cash yeah but at least he went in there in there by himself right he was looking around and he was there by himself and we were 25 feet away watching right and that was the important part of that exercise but 
And then he said, the mom said, well, he walks our dog. I mm -hmm. said, he needs to walk somebody else's dog. Yeah. Or he's doing a task outside the family on a schedule. Right. Absolutely. I think schedules and routines are, are not utilized enough for people on the spectrum who are autistic, but also just in general for most human beings, like being on a routine, having a schedule for things is really good for anybody's mental well, you health. See, if he has to walk Mr. Smith's dog right. at seven o'clock in the morning, each morning, mm -hmm. he's got to be on time at Mr. Smith's house. Right. Has to, to have responsibility. Dog. Yeah. You see where you're working for somebody outside the family. You see, it's yes. more like a job. It's a job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you got to learn how to communicate and interact with that other human being too. Exactly. Yeah, you see, that's part of the learning. Yeah. And I've had parents tell me that when their kid got their first successful job, working at an office supply store, on, on working at a sporting goods store, that they just blossomed. Yeah, oh, yeah. They just, they just completely blossomed. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I actually had a friend when, um, their daughter was first diagnosed, uh, at a very, very young age, uh, he had a lot of anxiety about it. He had a lot of questions about it. He didn't know anything about autism. And I'm talking about, this is 15, 16 years ago, which a lot of us as parents who were just starting to have kids at that time, we didn't know a lot about it. Like we'd heard of it before, but like, we didn't know anybody who had autistic kids because we were all just starting to have kids. And one of his concerns was, at how am I going to get my child to X, Y, Z? And my response was, well, don't get them, help them along with it. You know what I mean? But you've got yeah. to help them in the right way. You can't just do it, right? Well, the thing and, that drives me crazy is the yeah. amount of people I've worked with. And I worked in heavy construction for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I was out on big projects, supervising installation of things I had designed. Right. Uh, working with shops, uh, designing a center track restrainer for big beef plants. Every big beef plant's got one of these pieces of equipment I helped develop. Okay. Well, people that worked on that stuff were either dyslexic, ADHD, or autistic, owned metal fabrication shops, owned them. Right. And then the school doesn't want to let the special ed kids take shop. Yeah. Liability where. Because the word, they might get hurt. Hiring, owned the shops. Right. See, this is what makes me pull my hair out. Honest to God, and and I'm and, and I might sound a little discriminatory against uh, neurotypical folk, uh, real quick, but it always seems like they're so governed by fear about everything, and not looking at the advantage somebody might have, or the ability somebody might have, or what they can gain out of it. But it's well, more of like, oh my God, they might they might ruin something. If you get trapped in the label, okay, you you were diagnosed as an adult later in life, and you're in the I military. Was. Yes, I was. You were in the military, and there's a good chance that diagnosis would have kept you out of the military. You've gone into yes. the military with that diagnosis. Yeah, same thing so with my diagnosis of bipolar as well. It would have kept me out of the military if I had been diagnosed prior. Yeah, you see, that's the yeah. problem. And probably <clears throat> going in the military was a good experience for you. Oh, I, I love the heck of it. If I could go back, I absolutely would. I loved it. I loved all the structure to it. I loved the fact that I, I, I loved the fact that I didn't have to figure out how to match my socks to my outfit. And what um, in what branch? It. What branch were you in? And did I was you in have the army. Uh, I was a tank mechanic in the army. Tank mechanic. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. a good oh, thing to be in because so that's awesome. kind of transfer to car mechanics and truck mechanics at home. Yeah, and actually, I ended up becoming a addiction counselor when I got out of the military. I didn't even use okay, the mechanical but that, stuff. That, um, 
but I would, for the visual thinkers, I'd re you know, recommend trying to get in one of the mechanical specialists, right. even though we don't have tanks on the highway. <clears throat> the motors are motors. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Motors are motors. Are on semis. Yeah. And so a lot of those skills would transfer. And, That's and, true. And, uh, and we have a huge shortage of the, like diesel mechanics and people. Very are true. Right yeah. now. Yeah, very, very and, true. Diesel well, mechanics make a lot of money too. Oh, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, well, a lot of people are encouraged to go into social arts uh, and social sciences more now, and and they're they're told to go into go to college opposed to a trade school, and we've well, got a severe shortage of trade where, people. <coughs> the one place where you don't need college is what I'm going to call high end skilled trades. Again, I'm not talking about okay. roofing and floor tiles and flat work concrete. That's right. just hard work. Yeah, I'm talking about high end stuff like diesel mechanics. Right. An uh, electricians, plumbers, mm -hmm. also people that can um, invent and build hydraulic equipment. So you, like, right. like this plant manager just a few <clears> days ago <throat> told yeah. me that he he he, um, he was short on electricians, but the thing he really wanted is somebody that understood hydraulics, because in that watery, wet environment, they use a lot of hydraulically operated equipment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm tell you one thing: you build your plumbing too small, it's going to scream like a jet engine and be so hot you can't touch the power pack, and yeah, and have premature bad problems. Yeah, uh, and the kind of person that's going to be super good at that mm -hmm. is going to be a lousy student in math. Uh, yes, who took a course in it or just started working on the equipment and then right. just figure out how it works. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me let me ask you a question because you brought up the okay. bad at math thing a couple of times. Would a person who is a visual thinker, uh, would they almost always be bad at math or would that person maybe be able to be good at math but still be a visual thinker? Well, the thing is, visual thinking goes in degrees. A lot of okay. people are kind of mixtures. So you've got visual thinkers that can do math, but an extreme object visualizer. Uh -huh. I've seen this pattern many times and I discuss it in visual thinking extreme visual thinker like me mm -hmm. has trouble with abstract math. Okay. Temple, um, can we use this moment to segue into a question I got when we posted online about interviewing you? I kind of asked people, you know, what would they want to know about what not? And we did try to keep the questions that we found uh, to the topic okay. at hand. Right. Uh, okay. You mind if I ask you a couple questions from yeah, our audience? No problem. Go right ahead and ask them. All right. So uh, a Misty Schwaller uh, from our Facebook uh, said, this is the first time that they're going to community college. And they were wondering, uh, from your experience of going to college, what did you do to try to help develop friendships in college? Friends who shared interests. One to of my big breakthroughs okay. in college with friends was this: we had a college-wide variety show oh that's wonderful in in our college and i did a silly song in it and i made scenery for it that got a lot of friends that's an example of friends through shared interests yeah you know it could be theater band uh it could be a chess club you know there's a lot of um clubs at colleges okay those are places where you can get friends who shared interests. Another thing that really helped me, I went to college that had really small classes. And I think for a lot of students, um, going to the community college and getting your basics out of the way in smaller classes. And I didn't realize how important that was until I went to Arizona State University, where here's a big university. And I saw 500 students line up to sign up for freshman English yeah. and freshman math. And I thought if I was stuck in a 500 student class, I would have been lost. Oh, me too. Absolutely. College for the, um, you know, for the first classes 
is yeah. really a good idea. Get those basics out of the way in smaller classes. Yeah. And then if you go to the big university, the upper classes are smaller. Usually. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I did the exact same thing. I went to community college for uh, my basic classes. And then to get my bachelor's in psychology, I went to a university, which were much larger classes and a little bit harder to deal with at times. Uh, but I still got through them. And I generally had to talk to them, a lot of my professors. Now, I didn't know I was autistic at the time, but I, I was still expressing a lot of the same issues, though being surrounded by that many people because of all the extra chatter yeah, around me, all right. of that kind of stuff. I didn't know I was autistic and I didn't even think about it, even though I'm like sitting there in a class and they're talking about well, it. I'm saying, what but I'm I still saying, went to professors and asked for accommodation in that way. Well, I, one thing I did. Yes. Is when I failed my first math quiz, I went to the professor. Mm. Students are not asking for help soon enough. No, I went not. to the professor. There was a small college. He tutored me in his office. Yeah. I went to grad school and I failed my first statistics quiz. I got help from another graduate student. Students don't ask for questions soon enough. Don't True. ask for help, I should say. They don't ask for help right. soon enough. That is the biggest mistake that they make. Right. We're not proactive enough, if you yep. will. Oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, but granted, that's a skill in itself, though, isn't it? Like being proactive about what you need. Calling me advocating for yourself. I call it get help before I failed the course. Yes. Now, what I've, I did this book, Different Not Less, and it's 18 people diagnosed later in life mm -hmm. telling their stories in their own words nice and they all have jobs what i'm saying with the labels is that i think the labels holding them back on the job front okay like this kid yesterday at the airport never been in a store by himself <clears throat> right um, but where the diagnosis helps and i've talked to lots of people other than people who are in this book is with relationships it's almost a relief then they understand why they are different. Right. But yeah. I'm seeing too many kids getting so overprotected. <clears throat> I wish I didn't have to talk about shopping all the time. Um, <laughs> but I I find that I have to. They're getting so overprotected they're not learning these basic things. True statement. Um, and I think one of those life skill things, at least in my my experience and what do I do for a living, uh, one of the things that I notice a great deal is not just making connection with another human being, but understanding how to have an, a relationship, actually have a relationship. Well, and this and is I where, this is where the diagnosis was helpful. Yeah. On the relationships. But I think on the like teenagers, I think, you know, fully verbal teenagers holding them back. I mean, mm. they're not getting jobs. They're, uh, when I talk to parents, they say, we're thinking about it. And I say to them, who do you know that owns a shop? Yeah. Okay, I want to I want to avoid the rapid multitasking stuff like chaotic gun takeout windows. I want to avoid yeah. that. Also, the one accommodation they need is a pilot's checklist for any task with a sequence. Agreed. Agreed. A pilot's checklist. Yep. I call it external working memory. Yep. Okay. I I do those a lot myself, especially when I have a new task. I've got to write down very specifically every little thing I need to do in order and I leave it right That's in front right. of me. And just go down the list. Like, yeah. I don't even leave myself for, like, simple tasks. I don't decide whether something's simple or not. Nope. I'm writing down every single step, one by one, no matter how small or big the, ta the step is. And I just go through the list. But, yeah. yeah but that, that's those, they, there's been jobs lost, good jobs lost. Mm -hmm. They didn't do the pilot's checklist. One was an electrician's apprentice. Yeah. And, and all they need to do is write down what switches and fixtures should be installed in different parts of this house. Right. 
In other words, you use a dimmer switch next to the door. You use a regular light switch next to the bed. Mm -hmm. Just that kind of stuff. And the job was lost because they didn't write down Mm -hmm. the stuff to install. It's a very very simple accommodation. And if the boss thinks it's stupid, just remind them, pilots need a checklist. I need one, too. Yes. I think that's a really good thing. That's because good way to do mandatory it. for pilots. Absolutely. So actually, that, that kind of segues into a question that I had, awesome. uh, which is, how do you think employers can best juggle accommodation while maintaining, uh, I wrote efficient workplace. Maybe that's not the, the word I should have used, well, but I mean, like, not impacting. Yeah. <clears throat> well, the real simple accommodations are avoiding the rapid, chaotic, multitasking jobs and the pilot's checklist. Mm, yeah. All right. Let's just start with the two simplest things. Yeah. So let me tell you what one McDonald's did, because I don't think in abstractions. The autistic lady worked at the cash register. Mm-hmm. But when the store got super busy, they switched her to cleaning tables. Okay. All right. See how that's just a simple accommodation they yeah. made in that store. So that Something way she wouldn't get overwhelmed if there was too many customers. Right. Exactly. And then there's some autistics who might need sensory breaks. Uh-huh. They need to go outside behind the store or something and walk around. Um, you see, and I think i i see this yeah i'm yeah. seeing the back door of a back doors of a shopping center and they might be out there walking around in the by the loading dock yeah. you know just i used to do that before i knew i was autistic i used to go up behind i worked in retail for a while and i used yep. to go up behind the store and I'd walk around outside by the lake there was a mm-hmm. lake behind our building and okay. i used to do it but i didn't know i would get overwhelmed and i actually had a uh, panic attack a few times where because I was getting overwhelmed yeah. with dealing with customers yeah. and I used, getting a breath of fresh air for five minutes would help me. Absolutely. Getting away from all of it. It's just a little simple like sensory break. Yeah, yeah. that's it. These are things, you know, then the other big thing, we got to worry about LED lighting. Some people can see flicker on LED lighting. Now are you not a, supposed to see a flicker on LED lighting? No, you're not supposed to see a flicker. Oh. And if you see flicker, let me tell you how you detect it. Take your, your phone out uh-huh. and photograph the room in slow motion, regular slow motion, not super slow motion, regular okay. slow motion, play uh-huh. it back in slow motion. And then if you're stuck in a classroom with awful LED lighting, bring in an LED that does not flicker. Maybe it could be a headlamp. Okay. And you wear that in the class. Or you have a lamp next I to it. I thought your fluorescent desk. lights also flicker too. Yes, they oh, do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and those are getting phased out, but the LEDs, mm-hmm. some flicker, some don't. Oh. The other thing on sound sensitivity, it sometimes works, huh. is if the person on controls the dreadful thing that makes the noise, like the vacuum cleaner. Yep. Or the electric drill in the shop, then go down the shop when it's not busy and just drill, drill holes in all kinds of materials just to learn to tolerate the noise because they are initiating the sound. Right, because they're making the choice to do it. And you desensitize yourself to it. That's exactly right. And one, I just talked to to a young man about a week ago, and he said I was able to get rid of the headphones by desensitizing myself to the sound, but I still need sensory breaks. Yeah, every now and then. But he was able to get rid of the headphones because if you wear headphones all the time, it just makes the sound sensitivity worse. Yeah. But you can have them with you. You can have them with you. That yeah, gives you control. Yeah. Gives you control. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the keys. So I'm trying to find the simple things that people can do. Right. That, to help, you know, make accommodations. Yeah, absolutely. 
that something that's within their power, their control to do and initiate. Absolutely. Well, uh, and, and, and simple stuff. Yeah. You know, you see people talking broad concepts about, well, they don't provide accommodations. Well, I heard one case that talked, mm-hmm. this lady wanted to get a PhD in vocational rehabilitation and an autistic guy lost a job at, at some kind of a shop. I don't even remember what they sold. There was a, some kind of retail shop. Mm-hmm. And, and um, then they vote, they said, well, we'll just give you another autistic person. But that drives the shopkeeper crazy because they have to train them. Right. Yeah. You know, what, you know what was wrong? And a little, this particular person could not stand the sound of a single Christmas carol playing on the on the radio or on oh. the PA. Okay. Well, okay. But if you ask some questions, then you can find out, okay, well, maybe we take it off the playlist. Mm-hmm. Or, or you put your headset on when that plays. Right. Okay. That, something that simple would have saved that job. But you see, we talk about accommodations in a broad way. Right. I, I actually think far too often we talk about stuff in a broad way. We need yeah. to get very, very specific there's, about everything. Far more specific about every problem. subject. And yeah. maybe if it was um, something with a playlist, we could have taken that carol off the playlist. Or you can have your headset and put on the mm-hmm. headset when it plays. Absolutely. I know. Um, you know, it's it's but you can't fix it until you find out what the problem is. That's exactly One right. Christmas carol, a job was lost. Yeah. I know a, a specific accommodation for myself that I usually let people know that I work with. Mm-hmm. I ask a lot of questions and some people can find it irritating or annoying or feel like I'm yeah. questioning their authority, especially if they're superior, if I ask a lot of questions, but it's because I have a need to clarify and be specific yeah. about what it is you want me to do. Yeah. I so, do the same thing. Yeah. And so some people will take that as me being incompetent or me being defiant and so they'll take it the wrong way yeah. and try to explain to them I'm asking because I need the clarification. Right. It's not because you're trying to challenge their authority <laughs> no. in some way. I've also I've, I've been accused of that before, and all I was doing was asking questions. I also have uh, gotten spoken to before about wearing headphones or having something in my ears because if mm-hmm. I'm working long periods of time in a noisy environment, sometimes I'll, if I if I'm not required to have to speak to somebody at yeah. that point in time, I like to have something where I can have something else that I'm listening to instead of what's going on around me. But I've also had people not okay with that as well. So, so I got a question for you on that. Cause it just occurred to me as you described that when we used to work at that certain place together, doing that certain thing, which I'm not going to name where, cause I don't want to put no advertisement out for them. Um, was was that one of the reasons why you'd get so stressed so quick? What do you mean? Cause it was really loud in there. I'm very sensitive to sound. Yeah, so, but like yeah. where we worked together when you were my boss, there was a lot of sound going on, and it <clears> and <throat> it seemed like when you walked in what, the door what, very what quickly. What kind of a place was this? Uh, so we repaired, uh, we repaired and took jobs over the phone for uh, ABS braking systems on cars. It was all. Okay, so you were scheduling the jobs or doing the fixing? Well, the a little bit of both. So the it was just a big open like warehouse kind of room, okay. and so half the room was used for the people repairing, which was kind of loud most of the time. It's and like then, soldering and yeah, all the soldering and stuff like that. But then there was this set of, of desks in this open room where there was like six or seven different people who were on the phones constantly. And at the time, Steve was the supervisor there, and uh, I I would notice because we work in an improv group together and so i was used to only seeing him away from work and he always seemed you know kind of jovial and and stress-free most of the time but when i worked with him he very quickly got very almost seeming overwhelmed like he had that look on his face as if everything got to him a little bit too quick 
And as he just described that, I kind of thought back of when I worked with him and that expression on his face. Yeah, sorry, well, that had nothing to do with his interview. Things, I, and the sensory things are real. Yeah. Um, but there is some ability to desensitize. Yeah. If the person controls the noise, okay, like the racket that's in that shop, mm. maybe make a good audio recording of that. Or it's dogs barking or some other thing. Yeah. Things I can't control. And and have a really high quality audio recording where you can adjust the volume. And mm -hmm. because when you, when you control, that helps to desensitize. Yeah. And I was just talking with an autistic group that, um, you know, looking at where research is going. And I think there needs to be a lot more research on how to treat some of these sensory problems. And I found it through talking to lots of people in practical experience that <coughs> letting an individual control something like a vacuum cleaner or a leaf blower turned it from the most feared thing to the fun thing to play with. Well, when we, when we as human beings like feel as if we are in control, we can handle a hell of a lot more than well, when we feel out of control. Secret, the secret to um, maybe getting some, somewhat desensitized is control. Yes. You have the headphones with you yep. and then try not to wear them. And then this one guy said he got rid of his headphones, Yeah, but he still needed sensory breaks. Oh, absolutely. You still needed those. Yeah. You see, and that's a simple accommodation. So you go walk around behind the store or or, or uh, maybe maybe the break is to put on the noise-canceling headset and mm -hmm. play the music for just a little while. Hey. Um, you know, but if I want to figure out a way, the practical way to help make these things better, Yeah. you know, what annoys me, I was just looking at the research on sensory just recently. They have mm -hmm. all this stuff that say it's a problem, but nothing on, on, the, on the treating it. Right, and what, what to actually do about it. Well, I think part of it is is exposure to the noises they don't like, but the person has to control it. Yes. Whether it's a recording or an actual thing, like an electric drill. Yeah. The person has to control it. Right. I couldn't stand to be touched, and I used my squeezing machine to help desensitize me. I mm -hmm. control the squeezing machine. Yeah, absolutely. And this control mm -hmm. is is really, really important. Well, it's <clears throat> fundamental to most people to feel like they're in control of things. But for us on the spectrum, we're constantly inundated with things that we have no control over. So what you're saying makes complete sense to me of once we give the person the control over something, they're able to then manage a lot. But something like a noisy shop, yeah. general shop noise, you'd have to take an audio recording. Yes. And then when you're at home, you could work on playing it, gradually playing it. And it has to playing it louder and louder, but it has to be a Until full spectrum there. quality audio recording. Right, it's going right. to have all the nasty high frequencies in it. Yes. Because it's going to, it has to be, it has to relate to yeah, real exactly. life. If it's like audio is too poor quality, it's not going to. It has to be a high quality yeah. audio recording. That, that's what it would have to be. So, so not I think, like a I noticed, Walkman. I notice anything new, any sound, yeah. you notice I'm easily distracted, but you are. I can pick up on any sound, no matter how far away it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I notice things that shouldn't be there. Like I yeah. don't care where I go, where there's computers. If there's mm -hmm. a gray box in the middle of the screen, mm -hmm. it usually means something's wrong. I instantly see those. Yep, yeah, and I'll read. I heard you in on another show talk something about that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. I heard you on another I, show talk about something like that in an airport. You notice something on a screen at an airport. You in instantly uh, noticed it. When other people might not have necessarily. Well, I, like it, it was, for example, the gray box was in the middle of a, a sign that had an airline's name on it. Oh, yeah. There was mm. a gray box in the middle of it. 
I will instantly notice that. Right. Or let's say pixels are missing on electronic signs. Right. Or they're the wrong color. Right. I instantly notice that. Question on that. Uh, is it because the image has now changed from what you know it to be in your mind? Or is it just because there's something different about it? It's something that shouldn't be there. Right. Okay. But imagine okay. if you're a visual. I can tell you one last night. I went by this place called Majestic Roofing. Mm -hmm. And they had some beautiful pictures on their electronic sign. And there's a big piece where the a square where the pixels are missing on that sign. Yeah. I just noticed that last night coming home from the airport. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if you're a visual thinker, you would probably pick up on that stuff more right. easily, especially if you make patterns. Because I know you've talked about how you, you're able to um, relate to patterns mm -hmm. through images in your head. And you make connections based on the images and the way that you think. So if you know what those things typically look like or what they should look like because you're a visual thinker, then you're going to pick up on all those differences a lot faster than other people might. I would think so too. But things that sort of shouldn't be there. Yeah. I, I, I will notice. Almost, almost out of place. I mean, some things, like one time I was at the airport, mm -hmm. I looked out the window and there was a, a, a drink cup, a paper drink cup. It mm -hmm. must've been six months old that was sitting on the concrete base that held up the general. Uh-huh. I mean it's the dumbest thing. And I noticed that. An mm -hmm. ancient paper cup with a big jumbo coke right. sitting on the concrete pedestal thing that holds up the jet bridge. And I'm going, Oh, that's an old uh, paper cup that's been there. Right. For and most people would just ignore it. Yeah, most people would just ignore it, not even necessarily see it as being out of place or anything, but you saw it as something I out saw of place. It. It was the dumbest thing. It wasn't anything was gonna hurt anything. It was right. an old ancient paper cup i i can relate to I those moments that. yeah i can relate to those yeah. moments yeah. yep so you might have already answered this question uh, oh, because yeah, we you were talking questions. about uh you were already talking about education as it relates to um and exposure as it relates yeah, to careers I, mean, I got interested in the cattle industry i was exposed to as a teenager mm -hmm. i come from a non-ag background so what that brings up is is teenagers you've got to get exposed to things this is why i'm so concerned about taking all the hands-on classes out of the schools, mm -hmm. you know, like sewing and cooking and woodworking and art and music and all that stuff, yeah. theater, is because you don't kids aren't getting exposed to enough stuff to figure out what they might like well, to do. That's true. So that that's my kind of my question is: Do you think that that's the biggest challenge with matching people on the spectrum with a career, or do you think that there's something another like it's something that's a bigger challenge or a bigger uh, issue? You mean the exposure well, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, let's say you've an autistic kid, it's the math kind of mind. Right. They need to be moved ahead in math. Mm. That's what needs to be done. Moved yep. ahead, maybe several grades in math. I'm not suggesting putting a third grader in high school, but maybe he needs high school math classes on a laptop in a third grade classroom. Right, because right. they're that advanced in math. Because it don't make them do baby math. They will turn into a behavior problem if you do that. And that that's right. kind of what happened with me in school is uh, I ended up skipping classes a lot. I had a lot of behavior issue, issues because I got bored. Uh, I did have problems with math, mainly because it, for me, I couldn't do math unless I was trying to solve a problem. If I right, was doing math, practical, right? if I was doing math in, in, in a, a science environment, mm -hmm. I could do it. But when I had to do math for the sake of math, I had problems with it because I'm like, well, I'm not I trying to actually right. accomplish anything. That, that'd be functional math at that point yeah. opposed to just uh, doing the problem. Well, that's the problem. The real abstract algebra where nothing is functional. <clears throat> I can't even remember it. And yeah. and uh, uh, then you have the kid that's a math whiz and they just look at it and they see how to do it. Mm -hmm. And then the teachers want them to show step by step, but that's not how math kids think. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, if you show me a formula, but don't tell me what it's for, I can't use it. I don't get it. Like, I can barely plug in the numbers. But if you tell me what it's for and why this is important to do, I'm way more committed to that. Something like pi times radius squared. Well, you have to have that for sizing hydraulic and pneumatic cylinders. Now, when I say that, I see the cylinders on different kinds of equipment. Okay. And but that's maybe that's algebra. But I know how to do that. Yeah. But I see air cylinders and hydraulic cylinders mm-hmm. when I say pi times a radius squared. Right. You actually visually see it in your mind. Oh, I see them. I yeah. see them. Right. And other people who don't think the same way that you do might have a hard time understanding that. I can imagine. You, know, you have would. to. You, you got to find the area of the cylinder to figure out what size cylinder you need and what pressure you need right. to be the air or hydraulic. Yeah, cylinder. Okay. You, um, I don't know why I had to do that, but every time you said cylinder temple, like I a big question mark in my head. So I was like, no, nope, mm, yeah, okay, cylinder. Yeah, so I actually had to give myself a, a visualization for it. I don't know why. Well, I see an actual piece of equipment, like a right. big excavator. I right. see an air cylinder on a piece of equipment at a meatpacking plant. Yeah. Um, I, it's, not, it's not abstract. Right. I actually had to draw it in front of myself. I don't know why I just did. All right. Don't question me, Steve. You didn't. I got it. Okay. So another question um, from Lisa Brew. Awesome name. Lisa Brew from also Facebook. Do you believe teachers should have specific training in autism as standard practice? I think there's some things they need to know. And I think in specific examples. Now, the need Mm -hmm. for things like the pilot's checklist, avoiding long strings of written instruction. That is a must know. The other thing is the rapid multitasking stuff doesn't work. They need to know about the... uh, uh, the flickering on, on LED lights. Mm-hmm. Another little thing that can help a lot of kids with dyslexia is some kids complain about the print jiggling on the page. Here's a simple thing you can try. It maybe will help 10 to 20% of dyslexics. See how this is pale, light blue, mm-hmm. little pale, pale, light blue. Try different pale colored papers and print the homework on that. Oh. Nobody really knows why it works, but I'd say 10 to 20% of the time in dyslexia, it works. And the child has to pick out the right colored paper. And you can also adjust fonts and colored backgrounds on computers. And that, and that helps them be able to read at yes. that point? It's what it does, it stops the print from jiggling. Now, I don't have this problem. I would guess that maybe kids labeled with dyslexia, mm-hmm. only 10 or 20% have this problem. It's yeah. a very, very simple thing. Sometimes it, it works. And then the flickering of LED lights, mm-hmm. the rapid multitasking, mm-hmm. and the other thing that's really bad is long strings of verbal instruction. Oh, yeah. You've got to have a pilot's checklist. And if you actually look up those checklists, it's step, it's, it's one to three words just to trigger the memory. Yep. Ju- just enough so you understand what, what it's asking you to do. What's the next step? Yeah. And, and, and they're not written as narrative. They're written as bullet points. Okay. That sounds wonderful, actually. Sounds absolutely wonderful. And that's some real simple stuff that you can do that a lot of kids and, yeah. and even adults, mm-hmm. adults in the workplace, the pilot checklist and the rapid multitasking, they're the two biggest reasons for losing jobs because those accommodations are not done. Absolutely. All things to do. I never really thought about it until she just brought it up. But mm-hmm. uh, at a lot of jobs that I've worked at, I've actually 
they ended up tasking me with creating training materials because mm -hmm. I'm very good at putting together like step-by-step right. lists. Step yeah, and, making things methodical. And I would, you know, have images or whatever supporting materials for each step. Mm -hmm. And it just occurred to me, maybe that's part of the why, like, I don't know. Maybe I, that's I, why you're good at it. Yeah, I, I yeah. like putting things step-by-step. I'm step. good at writing articles yeah, on things like uh, how to handle cattle, just giving instructions. Right, right. And that's the same sort of thing. Um, but those are things where I've seen a lot of jobs lost mm -hmm. because they not have the pilot's checklist where the pilot checklist would have saved the job. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I've actually heard that story quite often just by watching a lot of TikTok and listening to people's stories. Uh, yeah. A we lot of people talk about losing jobs because they just didn't hundred percent know what it was they were expected to do. And they would have really appreciated oh, somebody just writing it the down. Bosses, they get mad and says, well, I've already showed you how to clean the ice cream machine five times. Are you right. stupid? I have heard oh, that kind yep. of stuff over and over and over again. Yeah. And this is where a pilot's checklist with bullet points of the steps, the take apart mm -hmm. steps, the cleaning steps, then reassembly steps would solve the problem. It's a very simple accommodation that would save a lot of jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fallout of losing a job, because there's a lot of emotional fallout to losing a job for people. Uh, and it would save a lot of that, too. A common thing that people on the spectrum will say is like they, they were let go. And they're usually given some sort of vague reason as to why they're being yeah. let go. Like, um, mm -hmm. you know, oh, it's just, you know, you're just not working out or it's Ooh. not, it's well, not working out. Yeah. I, I almost lost a job at that farm arrangement magazine where I was livestock editor. Mm -hmm. Changes of bosses is a dangerous time for people on the spectrum. Yeah. Real dangerous time. And one of my very first jobs almost lost it. They got, they sold the magazine and we got a new boss and the new boss thought it was weird. And Susie, who worked in graphic design, I think we're pretty sure she was on the spectrum. So we've got to get a portfolio put together of all your articles to show Jim, the new boss, your work. Mm -hmm. And when I showed him the portfolio of all the articles, he gave me a raise. You see, that's an example of showing the work. Right. Showing the work. That's Be another really important thing. Yeah. Being recognized for the effort opposed to what they expect well, you and to behave like. Well, like not just effort. Yeah. Articles I had actually written. Yeah. He didn't know how many articles I had written for that magazine. Oh. We, we did until we put them in a great big scrapbook and showed them the new boss the articles. Uh, okay. So the he was impressed by how much you've contributed. Yes. After okay. we made a scrapbook of all yeah. my articles that was really like two and a half inches thick wow. of all my articles. That's awesome. Then he was impressed. But you see, just interacting with him, he thought I was weird and crazy right but he but then when he actually saw my work then i learned in my cattle handling work to show off my drawings that's what i did yeah. i sold my work by showing my drawings that's mm -hmm. how i that's how i did jobs okay. an example one of my drawings right there it's a little ripped right there but i there i showed my drawings right that is what i did there you go and I think um, with changing of, of bosses, too, you have to worry about change of routine or expectations. Mm -hmm. If I had bosses who come in and I'm used to doing things a certain way and my my old boss was OK with how I was doing things. But now that you have a new boss, their expectations might be different. And then oh, it's yeah. hard for us to adapt to what the new person's expectations are. Or they get frustrated with you because they want and you to do things a different way. And there was a fencing job lost. When the guy got a new boss and he goes, yak, 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 yak. And the guy built the fence wrong. 
You yeah. see, this is where pilot's checklist would have saved that job. Absolutely. Changing bosses is dangerous. Ooh. I had a new boss come in once and call me a homo hobo habilis. Homo habilis, sorry. And I will not make a joke about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I will say it like when it Nope, I completely lost that thought. What is it's all right. Every single time we record, I've got like this cool question or thought I was going to say, and it's like, boop, gone. He's starstruck right now. I, I am, actually. Uh, I kind of admire you, so yes. You know what? This is the problem, uh, and and um, these are things that have come up over and over again yes. where jobs have been lost, yep. and hopefully this will be some good things. Well. Actually, uh, speaking along those lines of like working a job and all that jazz and having life, uh, there was a Dr. Sarah West who asked the question, how do you balance downtime with the research and the teaching that you do and all the speaking engagements and stuff? Like, how do you balance having downtime for yourself or personal time with all of the other responsibilities and like work stuff that you do? I don't stay up all night doing stuff. Awesome. Never have. Good. No, there's okay. a point where yeah, you can't you can't be doing all nighters all the time. Well, I did do a three a.m. get up the other day on that flight that was three hours late. Right. But that's the kind of stuff you can't do on a continuous basis. Yeah, yeah, every Absolutely. so often, but not often. Okay. Yeah, you just okay. cannot do that. You're not going to function. Okay, so make sure you get adequate amount of sleep and keep that's it as right. a routine. You've got okay. to get adequate amounts of sleep. Okay. That's what you absolutely have got to do. Um, and then you're just going to have to say, well, I've got to schedule some time mm-hmm. where I can just do some stuff. Yeah. That's what I've got to do. Okay. So on that on that note, uh, Temple, what do you do for fun? If you don't well, mind me asking. I see some science fiction movies. That's stuff mm-hmm. I like to do. Yeah, science fiction movies. Yep, I like science fiction movies. Awesome. Well, I thought Avatar was a great movie. I loved that. Did, did you watch the new one? Yeah, I sure did. I watched them both. Nice. Did you like the new one? Because I haven't seen it yet. I like. Yeah, I liked them both. Okay, good. Good. Liked them both very much. Nice. Uh, so if I can ask, do you like Star Trek or Star Wars oh, more? I like uh, classic uh, Star Trek. That's yes. what I like. Nice. Loved Mr. Spock. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was more of a data guy. You really were. Next but generation. Well, I liked Dude. data too. I liked him. I like also liked data. Yeah, but Spock better. Absolutely Spock better. But you're also yeah. younger, Steve. I related so. to data because he's always trying to understand people's feelings. Yeah, but you but next generation <laughs> also came out at a time in your life, at least age-wise, yeah. where you could identify with him more. And like I was shown the original Star Trek series before Next Generation even came out, and so I was always like, "Oh my God, he's got a real job and he no emotion." <laughs> well, that's just it. I mean, I was like eight or nine when I first got exposed to the original Star Trek, so like, I don't know, all the science talk didn't impress me, but this person who thought so logically and didn't rely on their emotions, in fact, talked about how no, you've got to keep those at bay. That appealed to me at that time. No, that's the thing. That's the thing is, um, uh, it's. Uh, but I want to see kids get out and be successful. The, mm. One of the things that's given me meaning in life is having an interesting career. 
And right now I got to thinking about, I missed my appointment yesterday with the New Zealand um, farmers, mm-hmm. but I think I helped an autistic 13 year old right. learn some independence. He went in his first store by himself yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that three hour delay was the best thing that ever happened to that kid. Yeah, absolutely. And it might've been exactly what was needed to happen. Sometimes well, people yeah, get put not, in our path I'm for a reason. Steps. I'm not talking about go over to another concourse or something like that. I'm talking right. about a store that's 25 feet away. And yeah. you Absolutely. So you, uh, you were talking a lot about visual thinkers. Um, I know you talk about different types of thinkers. Uh, I've listened to some of the stuff that you talked about on other shows and some of the videos you have. Um, as far as matching up careers with different different types of thinkers, besides right, visual thinkers, what do you think right. types of careers match well with other types of thinkers? Well, let's just talk about that. Now, of course, a lot of people are mixtures. The, the, the extreme visual thinkers, mm-hmm. it's going to be the real high-end skilled trades. Mm-hmm. I've heard of several that have gone into real high-end cabinet, custom cabinets like for kitchens. Yeah. And that's been a really good career. The, um, the very high-end skilled trades, photography, art, and then working at, with animals. The more mathematical minds, chemistry, physics, anything to do with computer programming, the more mathematical engineering, mm-hmm. the mathematical side of engineering, like let's go back to our food plant. The clever engineers like me design the mechanical equipment, the mathematical engineer does boilers, refrigeration, power, and water requirements. Right. You, yeah. see, you need the whole team. Uh, and then your word thinkers, all kinds of things, psychologist, teacher, lawyer. Wait. You got to be a word oh. thinker to be good at psychology. Well, a lot of psychologists tend to be word thinkers. Oh, okay. That's not always. That's not always the case. You you, you were scaring me there for a minute. There. No, that's no. not because I was a psychology major as an undergraduate, and I had to go into psychology because I couldn't I had to drop a physics courses. I couldn't do the higher math. Mm. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I and, just got into some wicked fascinating by like why people behave the way they do. Like that's been well, one of my grand obsessions. Of, brain classes that I found extremely interesting. Oh, okay. And, like the actual biology of the brain? Biology. I loved biology. Uh-huh. I was one of the few classes that actually had a decent grade in. And oh, the okay. other classes I goofed off and I got bad grades in. See, I was the exact opposite. All of the like uh, uh, more empirical sciences, I was like, meh, whatever. But you give me a good ph- uh, philosophy class or a psychology class where we're discussing behavior and potentials of why somebody's behaving that way. Man, I loved it and I got great grades in those. But philosophy is very highly verbal. And one oh. of the people that criticized my book, Visual Thinking, yeah. was a philosopher. And he was saying there's no evidence that there is such a thing as visual versus verbal thinking. Oh, I will not make that criticism. I'm yeah, not as that, smart as I, I mean, this would be someone ultra, ultra verbal thinker. Ooh. Can't imagine thought without uh, words. Oh, well, okay. I can definitely. Yeah, mostly, but most yeah. people are mixtures. You're going to be more of a mixture. You're more in the mixture. Oh, yeah. But what happens on the autism spectrum is you're more likely to have an extreme mathematician, an extreme object visualizer. Yep. Or you will have an extreme word person that knows every fact about baseball. Mm, gotcha. And where these yep. people can be really good in the job world is what I call quiet, specialized retail. Mm-hmm. They're fairly quiet, selling cards, yep. selling auto parts and memorizing every part number, selling sporting goods, office mm-hmm. supplies, things okay. where they're recognized for their knowledge of specialized merchandise. 
and all of those kinds of shops are relatively quiet. Yep. I, I, I did excel when it came to selling things. Not that I'm trying to relate all of this to myself, but I'm still doing it anyway. Well, you see, it's a, um, we're both bottom-up thinkers. Yeah. And I've had people complain that I just talk about myself, but I'm talking specific examples. Yes, you are. And those specific examples that I just gave you, mm -hmm. what I call quiet, specialized real retail, are real examples. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I can understand of, it completely. We're successful yeah. in those things. And it's funny because my dad is a engineer. <clears throat> he did electrical engineering. Yeah. But now he works with his hands, but he's always been kind of a hands-on yeah. create stuff, whether it's electrical engineering or carpentry. Mm -hmm. He likes he has to build stuff or put things together. And right. He has, you know, he's able to conceptualize what he wants to do. Oh yeah. And put it together. Yeah. And actually the few times that I've talked to him about stuff like that, <clears throat> uh, he he was always like, you know, I'd have to show you how to do it. Like it, it's not that he lacked the words to communicate it, but it was just far easier for him to show opposed to talk me through it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the few times. I mean, I generally don't talk about work stuff with him. I, I have my suspicions that he may also be on the spectrum based on uh, a lot of the social issues that I've had my whole life. Mm. He also has and have ha has had, but he doesn't uh -huh. seem to recognize it. So You know what? In, in the most simplest of terms. I recognize that you've got to change. I had a guy that was brilliant on building equipment. Mm -hmm. And it owned a metal fabrication shop. I never forget the night I had to drag him out of a client's shop because he was mouthing off and the client wow. was in the other room. Never forget that night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this as bluntly as I can. Some of us have a hard time shutting up. Like, I'm just well, going to say it. That I way. dragged him out of that shop yeah. and I said, We're going to go outside far away from here and you can tell me how stupid the guy is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. But not where he can hear you in the next room. Right. Well, sometimes we lose context of where we are and the words just yeah, kind of come out. Problem. We were in a place yeah. where making uncomplimentary remarks about an employee mm -hmm. of the client is not a smart thing to do. Right. 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 And mm. I think we can relate to moments like not that. Not always Steve. great at recognizing those things. So I've yeah. gotten better as, it, as I get older. I, I start mean, to learn how to be a bit more diplomatic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that's been a struggle for me most of my life is learning to be a little bit more diplomatic, if you will. Um, I would actually say far more diplomatic than I've ever been. Like nowadays, especially with the job I do now, I got to really figure out how to word things a certain way. When I was younger, things just fell out of my mouth. Well, I was just going around calling everybody stupid and things like that. And what I learned is that the word thinker doesn't see where something can go wrong. I'll give you a simple example. I was on yes. an airplane. I couldn't believe this business person did this. He set a plastic cup of water mm -hmm. on his open laptop while we were flying. Why? Well, because it was convenient. But if we hit one bump. Right. It just falls over. It's going to go right on the keyboard and wreck the right. laptop. Okay. That's an exa a simple example of seeing risk. Yeah. I'm like going, I can't believe you did that. It goes boom, like one one small little bump of turbulence, and that thing goes over. Or For, I just forget about it. Know, Somebody bump bumps into it, bump the tray table, or something's yeah. gonna fall over. Or the person behind him puts the seat back. I guarantee you that water's gonna spill. Yep, absolutely. And you can't control any of that. But he wasn't even thinking about that. He was just like, nope, just let me put it right, right here on the open laptop next to the keyboard, yeah. a plastic cup of water. Maybe the yeah. laptop was thirsty. 
Well, yeah, I don't think the laptop's going to be improved by having water spilled on the in the keyboard. Yeah, it probably won't be improved, but everybody sitting around that guy at least will get a little good of good laugh out of it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, let me rephrase. I would find it funny if I watched I've that glass. I've seen somebody put a seat back and about break a laptop. Uh-huh. I, I, do, I do have a question I just thought of because okay. um, sure. I don't necessarily understand this part of it, but uh, you mentioned several times that visual thinkers uh, should, you know, could possibly work with animals, that they might be good at working with animals. Well, because animals don't think in words. Right. right. Um, and that's the reason. Now, I've got uh, another 15 minutes. I'm going to have to get on another call. Oh, well, didn't mean so to take up a lot of your time. Up, didn't mean. Uh, some of the, I just, that you were probably wondering why I was looking at, I was texting them, telling them that. Okay. I was texting under the desk to tell them that I. How dare you? Oh, uh, well, uh, the please. temple, uh, we thank you very much for your time well, like, uh, you, as much you, as you've you have given any us. Other, you have any other questions from your listeners? No, I, I don't have any more questions from listeners. Steve, do you have any more? Uh, no, not at the moment. No. Okay. I, well, so, I want to help the you know people that think differently um, to um, help them get into good careers and some absolutely. of the tips that I've given you on the accommodations, yeah. very simple accommodations that will help lots and lots of people. Absolutely. Um, can you show? Can you hold up your two books one more time? All right. Well, okay, this, just because I want to make sure people get to see them appropriately. I'll, I'll put a link to right. uh, if you want. These in are the visual thinking. That's my book where I talk about the different kinds of minds. Uh -huh. That just came out last October. Different, awesome. not less, is 18 individuals diagnosed later in life, all employed, mm -hmm. describing their experiences in their own words. I was basically the editor of that That's of that awesome. book. I, I actually and, want to get that book now that I know about it. And I, I actually got a lot of insights editing this book. Yeah. You know, oh, reading absolutely. other people on um, um, other people's stories, and they have a variety of different careers. They're not all computer scientists. There's some yeah. are in there. And 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 where on and how it helped them with the relationships and in the visual thinking. I'm real, you know, concerned about skill loss. I'm concerned mm -hmm. about these kids getting screened out by all the math requirements we've got now. Yeah. And well, now I see the plant manager. He was standing in the doorway between his office and the conference room saying, yeah, I like electricians, but what I really need, especially since they're building a new plant edition. So you got to have some people that know hydraulics. Yep. Now, I'll yeah. tell you that. That's visual thinking. Mm, yeah, absolutely. The big mistake that people make with hydraulics is they don't make the plumbing big enough diameter. It runs too hot. Okay. It's a real mess. Um, you they, they, you see, and I'm like, you see, I'm also an associative thinker. Yes. See, verbal thinkers tend to be much more linear, much mm -hmm. more top down. We have to do accommodations. See, being a bottom up thinker, I'm finding certain accommodations where they were mm -hmm. not given, like the pilot's checklist. Yeah. Consult with them. A lot of lost jobs. And then let's just avoid the chaos at the McDonald's takeout room. Mm -hmm. Or try to avoid those jobs. Ice cream parlors are important because the person makes one ice cream cone at a time. And right. it's a step-by-step -step process to focus on. Yeah. Those have been successful. Um, and then the quiet retail, quiet specialized retail. Yeah. I mentioned those. Those have been very successful. Like and just straight engineering jobs. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, designing all kinds of stuff. All, I'd say half the computer programmers in Silicon Valley are probably on the spectrum. Oh, probably. Those would be the math thinkers. Those would be the pattern thinkers. 
Right. But we need to take these kids that are good at math and move them ahead. Don't have them do baby math. People like me, when we were kids mm. out in the 50s, we had lots of hands-on stuff. Yeah. We're not getting that today. My it's kids are growing up, no tools, not measuring anything. I've talked to a shop teacher just the other day, and he said, I spend three days teaching the students how to measure. Three days they to measure? How to measure. Wow. Yes. Yes. I, I remember that being like an hour when I took shop class at best. Well, but you see, kids in elementary school yeah. are not learning rulers and tape measures and measuring with them. Okay, yeah. so then by the time I got to shop class, I already had enough exposure or something had it. like that. But yeah. the problem today, yeah, I had a girl in my class last semester who had never measured anything with a ruler or a tape measure. Like I, I mean, a lot of life. younger people who don't know what eighths or sixteenths are, they don't know yeah. how to read a read a ruler or read a tape measure. They That's don't know. the problem. They don't. That is the problem, and so they'll spend Could three days, three shop classes, just learning measurement now. Right. Wow. All right. So it's no, definitely it's something that people need to be exposed to. I mean, absolutely, people in the spectrum need to be exposed to far more things. Far more find, things find what they're going to get. I wish I didn't have to be talking about shopping and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But maybe the fact that my plane had a mechanical problem right. was the best thing that ever happened to an autistic boy yesterday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where and were I you when imagine, I was a kid? Yeah. And I can only imagine his mom is probably going to brag about that. Hey, you know who I met who encouraged me to have my son go in that store? Well, I'm going to have my son do that more often. Oh, well, yeah. And the mom, I'm, I'm standing next to the mom and she's saying, I want to go into that store really badly. Oh, yeah. Oh, guaranteed. Her anxiety must have been sky high. Way, you know, then we figured out he couldn't pay for it. I finally went in there. Yeah. But they, they um, but I'm seeing this where they want to do everything for the kid. Right. And they've got to, you know, and this is baby steps where you go yep. in a store where you're right there, like the gas station store, for example. Right. You see, and I see it. I even, I even figure out which pump and which gas station I would go mm -hmm. to or where I'm pumping gas, I could see into the shop. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because you got to keep an eye on them. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to be able to keep an eye on people. Let me ask you the question, Temple. Did, your, did that mom uh, recognize you or know who you yeah, are? Yeah, she came up to me in the airport. Oh, she and they okay, wanted good. to get a pick. She awesome. recognized me. Um, and then and then I um another time I was a 12-year-old girl who had never shopped. Oh wow. And we were okay. sitting in the gate room for our flight. Yeah. The shop was across the hall. We could see I gave her a five dollar bill. She went and bought a drink and brought the money the change back. And it was the yeah. first time she'd shopped by herself. That's awesome. That was another airport experience. How, how big of a smile did she have on her face? She was really happy and she gave me the change for right? a drink. She was able to um, do it on her own. That that must have been amazing. But we were right there. We could see. Of course. We were in the gate room. The shop was across the hall. We could see the entire front of the shop. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this was a baby step. Yeah. So uh, one last question, if I can, about when people recognize you, because you are kind of a famous figure. Um, yeah. How do you handle that? How do you manage that? Like, because can that be overwhelming to you at times? Well, no, I just kind of, I figure I've got to always be on good behavior. Mm. Um, people look up to me and yeah. when I get a picture, I do it. I get stopped all the time Yeah, and I um, do pictures. Right. And then I also use it as an opportunity to like talk to their kid and maybe give some yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, uh, something like having that group, that, that boy go shopping. I don't mm -hmm. do that that often, but when right. it's a kid, it's the kind of the right age, like a teenager. Yeah. I find that they haven't shopped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
then I'm I'm going to have them go in a store unless I'm in a rush trying mm-hmm. to get a flight. Of course. But we had three hour delay. Yep. And more than enough time. With, you know, yeah. go talk to her. So that three hour mechanical problem mm-hmm. might have been the best thing that happened to her kid. Right. And then I missed another appointment with New Zealand farmers. Yeah. Which I texted them and said, well, well now it's nine o'clock, the plane's going to leave instead of six mm-hmm. in the morning. I went, I actually booked another flight, but the, but then the plane that was broken, I was going to leave it about the same time. And oh. I wanted to go on a plane. I was more sure would go. Yeah. But the bottom line was uh, that that was helpful to that kid because yeah. she said, well, nobody in therapy said that maybe he should walk somebody else's dog. Well, yeah, of course they didn't say that. Or do a task for somebody outside yeah. the family. Right. They got to how to do a task on a schedule outside the family. Yes, absolutely. There's got to be a separation. There's less responsibility if you're doing it for your family. There's... Absolutely, because you because you also know somebody's going to protect you if you make a mistake. But if you're doing it for somebody else, there's a little bit more pressure on you for it. Absolutely. And you got to make sure you don't let Mrs. Jones's dog get away or something like that. Right. Because um, it's you, somebody else's dog. It's somebody and you and when if it's seven o'clock in the morning, you got to be at her house at seven o'clock in the yes. morning to take Fido for a walk. Yep. You know. It, yeah, sometimes having that pressure of responsibility can be a far better teacher than stressing the responsibility. You know what responsibility is to me? About huh. My school put me to work mm-hmm. um, cleaning stalls in the horse barn, and I put the horses in and out, and I fed them. And they made it very clear to me that if I left the lid on the big wooden grain box open, mm-hmm. a horse can go in there, gorge on grain, and it can kill a horse. And oh. responsibility was shutting the lid. This is responsibility. Yeah. Shut the lid on the grain box, and you put this latch down. It's a little thing you turn on it. Yeah. You, I did that every time I fed the horses. I made sure that lid was down and that latch was turned. And I'm now seeing the latch. Responsibility yeah. was making sure the grain box was closed. Right. Absolutely. I was, I was 15 years old. Yeah. And it, it's super important to have that. I mean, but far that, too many people want to take away the stress and the anxiety of certain moments. No, we need to feel that. We, we but when I used to say the it. word responsibility, I uh-huh. see the big old wooden grain box. Yep. Yeah, the association to the putting two. Putting the lid down. Yeah. And turning the metal thing on the lock. Right. Was it a butterfly-looking kind of lock? Thing no, it actually turned? was a hasp. Like you uh, put a yep. padlock on. Yep. It was a hasp or a padlock. Well, obviously, you need a padlock on. And right. the thing where you put the padlock on mm-hmm. turned. Oh, okay. I know and, what kind of lock you're talking about. And then about. there was no way a horse could jiggle that and somehow get the lid open. Yep. Yep. And so my first thing, when I hear the word responsibility, I see that grain box. There you go. And it had to be closed and the little thing on the hasp had to be turned. Yep. You had to clip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. Um, you know, and I was 15. Yeah. And I basically ran a horse barn uh, by myself. Nine stalls every day to be cleaned. That's just work. Yeah, and and um, Dude, putting horses. the horses in and out of the barn uh, and feeding them. Yeah, my job. Wow. wow, that's awesome. Well, Temple, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on our show and kind of giving us all of your experience and knowledge there that you've been well, able to give us. Thank you very very much. And Absolutely it was great show. I've got to get on this other Microsoft Teams call that I'm now late for. But I did oh. text oh, him. Sorry I about was, that. I texted him. See, that's what. I'm what so sorry doing. to make you late for someone else. 
We will put your books up in the, uh, I'll put you, I'll put a link to your books. I'll go to your website. I'll find, uh, whatever links you prefer for your books and I'll put them up in our, that'll be wonderful. But they, Uh, they, um, but I had to text them in and let them know. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, did you realize that was I good at concealing the fact that I was texting under the desk? Actually, I had no idea. I had okay. no idea. That's like, what I was and, doing. Yeah, until you told me you were texting somebody else, I had no idea. But all I text was Zoom call gone over. Yeah. You know, just it, so they would know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I do apologize. We went over, but honestly, I could probably talk to you for the next couple of hours, but I'm not going well, to, I, but I probably I could. Really, you have to go now. It's yeah. been really, really great. Thank you Thank so you much Temple. for having me on the show. And I'm going to leave the meeting now, and I hope I've given people some tips that are going to help them out. Absolutely, yes. you have. Thank you very much. Thank you, okay. Temple. Have a great day. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So it was absolutely wonderful having Temple on the show. I like, I can't believe we were able to get her on our podcast, but that was absolutely wonderful. Like, I got a whole lot out of the show. Did you? Yeah, I did have some more questions, but unfortunately we ran out of time. But maybe we can talk to her again in the future. I I wanted to push her more in the visual thinking. Yeah, uh, which maybe I should just read her book. But I have a few questions. Um, some of the animal stuff was in- interesting to me, which yeah. I didn't really get into. But like, I can understand why somebody who's a visual thinker might be able to understand animals a little bit better. Right. But I, I had some personal questions because I've always had um, an affinity to animals and kind of a mm-hmm. natural understanding of like you should do this, you shouldn't do that around certain types of animals, just being exposed to, I grew up around a lot of animals. Oh, okay. Um, and I just kind of intuitively understood, like, like right. I could tell right. if an animal, like I could tell how they feel or tell how they would react to certain things. And uh-huh. it just kind of comes. So. All right. Yeah. All right. I've been scared of animals. But I don't consider my life, myself but... to be a super visual thinker. Well, based on the way she described those things, I, I don't consider myself a yeah. highly visual thinker either. I mean, when we initially talked about that idea, I thought I was, but based on the way she was talking, nah, right. that mixture thing that she was talking about. Right, which is what I, I told you I thought you would be more. I, I know. But. I know. All right. Well, that so, was fun. That was absolutely wonderful. I hope everybody enjoyed that interview that we did. I know we did. And please stick around for the next episode coming next week, which we will probably have at some point, and we're probably going to put up on a Monday, like we usually do. So thank you very much for watching the episode, and please keep watching or listening. Bye. Bye, everybody.